How much should faith and politics overlap? Welcome to Before Babel, where we explore the questions we don't ask at church. All right, guys, what's up? Welcome back to Before Babel. This is episode six. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. I want to thank all of our listeners for being a part of this. Um, please rate us five stars and share. That's the biggest and fastest way to help spread awareness of this podcast. Um, yeah, guys, and I'm really, really excited. This is one of my favorite episode topics. Is something that when I first, when we first thought of making this podcast, it was one of the first questions that kind of came up with. So without further ado, I wanted to reintroduce my co-hosts. Um, here with me, I have Pastor Nick McCall. He's our worship pastor. Hello. I have Pastor Jeremy Lyon. He's our infrastructure pastor. Hola. And I have Kaylee Villarreal. She is our outreach director. Hi. How are you guys doing? Sick. Yeah. yeah sick. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> for so listeners, we're, um, we're all under the weather except Jeremy. Um, he just actually got out of the under the weather. That's what? right. I'm Ooh, above yeah. the weather now. Yeah. <laughs> so there might Flying be some high. snifflings. Yeah. Um, so bear with us. Appreciate it. <laughs> might be some slow thoughts. We're getting the gears. We're not supposed to get up. sick in the summer. Isn't that a rule? Yeah. I don't know. I thought so. Doesn't sun help with the sickness? I, I think yeah, you I just so. made that up. No, I don't Is think that so. Real? I think, I think like, it's just because like, when I'm in the sun, I feel less sick. So I just assume it's because of something. <laughs> I say go with it. Doesn't so, like heat kill viruses? They can, yeah. But like people in Phoenix, do they ever get sick? Yeah, I got sick when I lived in Phoenix. So. Were you in the AC? You must be. I mean, yeah, three was, there you, you should yeah. live outside in yeah. Phoenix. In, then yeah. you'll never get sick. Fifteen degree weather. Yeah, yeah you want to be sick? Fantastic. Could be fun. Because you'll die. I'll just be dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sick. I'm dead. Sometimes I'd rather be dead than sick. Oh my gosh! All right. Last episode was all about heaven and hell, mm. and it was sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about it afterwards, and they were all like, wow, ending in hell was a pretty sad way to end it. And I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, I just re-listened to it, though, um, yeah? this week, and I don't think it like ended as low as we thought it did oh, really? after the moment. Yeah, as mm-hmm. I listened to it, I, we, we kind of brought it back up and remembered that our hope is in Jesus and mm. that we get to go to heaven to put our faith in Jesus, so. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's good. It felt rough. Yeah, it, did, it, it definitely <laughs> did moment. feel that way. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, but it was really, it was a, I don't know, it was just such a, one of those conversations that it's really hard for us to imagine, you know, these places. It, it feels um, sometimes ambiguous in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of those episodes where we're all like, I don't know. It's scary. Love Jesus. Trust in Jesus. <laughs> Um, today's topic, um, we have two more episodes and we're finishing out season one of Before Babel and, um, we'll return next year. And these last two episodes, I think are going to be super important and I'm really excited for this one. This is all about politics. Um, again, starting this podcast, one of the first questions that came up with was this, and a lot of it is because politics are very much inevitable in our world and more to, I feel like today than it feels like in the past few years, um, they've just been more prevalent just as far as splitting up sides, you know, mm-hmm. just feels in the past yeah. decade, there's been a real shift in like, 
um, there's always, you know, been that, that divide, but there's just been real. I mean, people are moving states because of where people mm-hmm. and, um, traditionally Christianity has fallen under the conservative. That's pretty like worldly looked at. Right. So it's a really interesting conversation because we say, you know, the, it's very, it's just like how much now should our faith, you know, in politics overlap. Yeah. So without further ado. I want to ask you guys, when did conservatism become so intertwined with Christianity? Who wants to start? You start. I'll start. That's okay. what we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I watched a really cool video uh, on YouTube, how conservatives co-opted Christianity. So I got a lot of information from there. But what's interesting is uh, they pointed out that kind of prior to almost like around the 1920s, um, you saw... Uh, a more Christian view in what would be the the progressive or democratic side of the house, um, because it was it was focused on social justice. It was focused on you know helping people and making sure and much more. Uh, you know this video talked about the gospel being being very egalitarian. Um, egalitarian, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so we're, we're, we're trying to give equity to everybody. We're trying to love on everybody the same and that kind of thing. And then in the 1920s, you started seeing this social gospel that became, uh, that started speaking against capitalism and imperialism, imperialism and colonialism. And then around 1925, there were like these conservative Christians that started popping up and huh. it started kind of leaning more that way. And you started seeing this kind of, national Christian view, kind of this patriot patriotism and Christianity all rolled into one. Mm. So it was very interesting. I, I had not known mm. any of that stuff. Um, it started from, I don't know if I have, oh yeah, in, 20, in 1925, uh, my notes here, it, it kind of emerged from the Scopes Monkey Trial where you had evolution being taught in schools. Mm-hmm. And so then you you started seeing this, like, no, we're going to stick to what the Bible says and we don't want this. And that's where you started seeing this, like, conservative moniker being a tied to it, right? Like, we're going to be conservative sense. in the sense of we've, we've, we're have we've reading the Bible and we're taking this and we're not going to take evolution. And so you started mm-hmm. seeing that kind of come out then. Um, as I was reading and studying this, um, the article, as I was reading, kind of started talking about how there became this shift in the 1990s. Um, I know there was a shift obviously prior to, as you were just talking about there, Jeremy, but um, it talked about after the 1990s, politics and religion became more intertwined and people started basing their religious beliefs on their political beliefs. Mm-hmm. So their political beliefs began to trump the word of God. It, it started to become what they felt and what they believed. And it was, it was issues like abortion um, were coming up and same-sex marriage and that really started to drive a little bit of a divisiveness between um, religion and politics. Um, I found this too. This was interesting. Non-religious voters have become a critical part of the Democratic Party's base. Right now, one third of the DNC are are non-religious Americans. Um, I found that liberals have been leaving organized religion in high numbers over the past few decades, and ironically. Many of the non-religious liberals would say they are non-religious because of the ridiculous behavior of extremist conservative Mm -hmm. Christians. Mm. And that to me is a problem, right? It's the, it's the attitudes and the actions of the Christians 
mm-hmm. that have pushed progressives or liberals, mm-hmm. um, people who, who vote that way or, or think that way, um, have felt unwelcomed and have felt, um, like they don't belong because they don't agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, uh, Margolis, she's a political science professor at the university of Pennsylvania. She wrote a book called from politics to the pews. Um, but she said this, she said, politics can drive whether you identify with a faith, how strongly you identify with that faith and how religious you are. So she's, she's kind of taking this perspective of people will base their religious beliefs on their political beliefs. In other words, these politics are now trumping the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so now liberal Americans are, are, are actually less religious than they used to be. Mm. In the early 1990s, less than 10% of Americans lacked a formal religious affiliation. Mm. And liberals were not all that much likelier to be non-religious than the public overall. Today, however, nearly one in four Americans are religiously unaffiliated. And Mm. that number includes almost 40% of liberals. So in Mm. 1990, that number was only 12%. It's grown from 12% to 40% in the last 30 years. So you see this rise in non-religious Americans and it's a lot of it seems like it's because people are just fed up with, um, the way that maybe it's just some of the more extreme conservatives talk about and treat people who think differently than them. In other words, political arguments have hurt the church and have hurt Christians Mm -hmm. in many ways. Wow. Yeah. I actually found a much darker, much, um, gosh, Yeah, more intense um, connection between the two. Um, And I was surprised. Well, maybe I wasn't so surprised, but I was a little bit surprised. Because I also, like, had never known that there was a time where Christianity wasn't intertwined with conservatism. Mm. um, Until I read this book that I'm going to talk a little bit about. Um, And I think this is going to sound intense, but just stay with me. Um, I think and this isn't just my opinion, but scholars as well, that the connection between conservatism and Christianity is actually rooted in racism. Mm. And a lot of that is because of, um, in, in this book, The Color of Compromise by historian Jamar Tisby, he talks a lot about the relationship between the, the pro-slavery stance of the South and the high population of mm. Christians in the South Mm. and how as the relationship between pro-slavery and the South grew, so did the relationship between conservatism, conservatism. Am I saying that right? Conservatism. Conservatism. Anyways, between that and, um, Christianity. And it's interesting the, um, in, so the, he argues, this historian argues that the connection started in the 19th century as um, Christians were trying to figure out what do we say about slavery? What's Mm. our stance on it? Um, And the three biggest denominations in the 19th century uh, were the Methodist church, the Baptist church and the Presbyterians church. And it's really interesting because the Methodist church, which is actually where the church of the Nazarene started, their original stance on slavery was opposed. They were very anti anti slavery. Um, And in his book, the color of compromise, He says, despite the Methodist original opposition to slavery, as the denomination grew more socially conservative, views shifted, especially in the South, Methodist ministers became more comfortable with slavery and accommodated their preaching and practices to its presence. Hmm. And so there seems to be this 
deep connection between the growing conservatism in the South and slavery. And so that's kind of where I found the connection to be, which is really intense. And um, in the Harvard Political Review, they talked about this um, when they started to be intertwined. And in that it says, there seems to be a general consensus amongst scholars that in some significant capacity, race relations played a role in the alignment of white Christians with the Republican Party, Hmm. particularly in the South, where the population of white evangelicals in the highest, um, they state that the Republican fear of big government and support for private privatization, I'm not saying that correctly, I don't think, of educational institutions took hold as a response to intervention measures undertaken by the state to racially integrate society. Mm. And so there's this deep connection with the the racism that kind of bleeds into all of American Mm -hmm. history with Christianity. And I think it's really interesting um, where that connection seems to have started. That is crazy. I know. Kind of a downer. That Much a darker downer. than... I feel like we're talking about hell again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're doing it started it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also found that, um, like, in 1979, Jerry Falwell's Moral Majority, <clears throat> like, he started this group called the Moral Majority, mm-hmm. and he brought together a lot of the evangelicals, mm-hmm. which were mostly white, mm-hmm. old... Yeah evangelicals um Mm -hmm. but that brought the voting power to the republican party like Mm. they like Um. that's that's one of the main reasons reagan was voted in as president Mm. in 1980 and you see that that moral majority quote unquote that that group kind Mm. of push the republican party forward Mm. so they were using like a political yeah exactly yeah it was kind of jerry falwell was like this is how you should vote if you're a good christian Mm. and that's what they did Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so they they and then he would take that I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of examples where he probably abused that, but he would take that then to various political parties and like, look, if you want our voting power, then do this. If you want our voting power, then do this. Wow. Wow. That's intense. That yeah. also do- does make sense in some regards. I mean, not in some, but in a lot of regards. Now, conservatism, the good thing that as the church appreciates it is it has the church in mind in a lot of ways. Um, the Republican Party that feels like there's. That might be. I don't know. I struggle with that. Do you? Yeah. I I mean, when you look at the early church, when you look at the church in Acts and you look at how Jesus loved the marginalized Mm -hmm. and the outcasts and you see how, I mean, honestly, uh, the early church was very socialist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They were. You know, and and so because it was, hey, we're going to provide for everybody. I mean, like the idea of welfare and taking care of those people Mm -hmm. who need the help, uh, all these very liberal, progressive ideas that we have, like to me, that looks more like Christianity than Mm. the capitalist, uh, get it for yourself and take care of yourself only. And, you know, if you want what you want, then you need to work really hard for it type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's weird that, like that's I guess the the part for me that's confusing is like how is that is that locked together right yeah. like this the conservative side of it and it's like it's almost I don't know it just seems odd to me mm-hmm. doesn't make sense I'm so glad you shared all that Jeremy speaking personally I I grew up in a very very conservative family and was from a young age 
um, trigger warning here. So people are going to be upset about this. Mm. I grew up being told if Democrats had brains, they'd be Republicans. Mm. I mean, this, it's just the, the family that I grew up in. And so I grew up thinking very negatively towards people who considered themselves, you know, Democrat or, or liberal. And it honestly hasn't been until the past few years when I've been able to start thinking for myself, mm -hmm. um, just about all these views. And I've, I've thought things like you just said, like, okay, well, one of the things that I think the, if we can say the left is doing really well is they are concerned about those who need help. They are mm -hmm. concerned about the marginalized and, um, people on the right are just kind of like, well, you know, it's, it's their own problem. They just need to get a job and take care of themselves. And mm -hmm. I'm doing my part. I'm paying my taxes. I'm taking care of my family. I'm putting food on the table. I'm providing. Why can't they? Mm -hmm. And it, it becomes very, um, unloving, very ungiving. And like you talked about, you know, Jeremy in the early church, it was, they sold what they had mm -hmm. to help yeah. everyone in the community. Yeah. They sold their fields. They sold their possessions because you know, so-and-so needed help. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's so foreign. It's literally yeah. what like yeah. the Republican party is against. It's like taking yeah. what's mine and giving it yeah. to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like one of the biggest things. Yeah. I'll speak from personal experience. I also grew up, um, just kind of, I was in the mindset of like Christianity is Republican. I'm Republican. Um, it wasn't like my parents really pushed it on me. I just kind of like had that view. Um, when I heard of the Republican values and matched with my views, and it wasn't until uh, college I kind of like realized, like, wait a minute, you know, for listeners who don't know, I am not white. <laughs> and it was a weird concept to hear that the other party that I was against was more aware of my skin color and potential problems. Yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> and then my, and then the, like the party that I thought I was a part of was like really against it. Mm -hmm. And that was a weird thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like. I feel like they're the enemy, but the enemy loves me more in some yeah. ways. They, they, they at least like they look to see me yeah. and the potential problems. And I don't, you know, we don't need to get into like if it was right or wrong or how they went about yeah. it. But the heart of it was they saw problems yeah. that I was aware of. And it was kind of foreign to me. I was like, it was a, it was a weird wake up. Yeah. yeah. For me, I, I grew up not knowing anything about politics. So I literally didn't even learn the words Republican and Democrat probably till like end of high school, which is yeah. embarrassing. But my parents never talked to me about it at all. And I think in a way so that they didn't make me what they are. But I don't know. I mean, there's good inside, good and bad sides of that. But I, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I remember one time, I think it was probably some my senior year of high school we were doing like debates on like political topics and stuff and I had a friend in the class who sat near me or whatever during the debates and he was noticing what like arguments I was nodding along to mm. and he talked to me afterwards and he was like hey like aren't you a Christian and I was like yeah and he was like <laughs> well I saw you like agreeing with like liberal perspectives and I was like I don't even know what that means. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you're not like being a Christian because you agree with these things. And I was like, they're talking about human rights. What do you yeah. mean? I'm yeah. so confused. And then in college, when I like learned more about it and kind of learned how to think for myself, I did find the connection between Christianity and conservative very confusing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, obviously I think the most obvious one is like their stance on abortion. But for me, it's like, is that enough? 
to make the connection valid? I don't know. Right. Well, that's the whole problem with this whole, and I know we're getting a little off topic, but the whole two-party system, right? Mm -hmm. Because, okay, so I I don't agree with abortion, so does that make me Republican? Okay, but but there's there's these stances that I don't necessarily agree with either, and it can make someone feel like, I don't really know where I belong. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know if I agree with either. Yeah. Well, Um, and from what I remember, I mean, you know, the the majority of people fall more in the middle. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, everybody has that's like, true. I'm here, I'm, I'm a little right here. I'm a little left here, yeah. depending on the situation. But I think the challenge is with the two party system and how we, how, how media has grown. I'll just say that like with social media and how connected we are and how much information we get, right. they have been able to polarize it mm-hmm. so that it feels like, no, you got to be all the way to the right or oh, all the way yeah, to the left. And it's so like, true. no, float in the middle. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Some issues you're going to be okay with. You know, the on the right is, and some on the left. Like you do got to vote for one. Well, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And so you got to find one you that choose one. And, and that's the, I think that's the other challenge is that because of the polarizing nature of what the media pushes us to, because like we like to see this major competition, yeah. we don't, you don't get those medium middle politicians like mm-hmm. we, like we need, you know, that, that are a little bit of both. You yeah. Know? yeah. So as Christians, should we be part of a specific party then? I don't think we should be. Yeah. I think you can be. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Like I mean, I'll, I've I've been I've I've been registered independent uh, ever since, and this was even before Christ because I was just like I don't know who I'm like sometimes yeah. I like that yeah. guy sometimes I like that guy sometimes yeah. I like this side. Yeah. So I I prefer that personally, mm-hmm. um, but sense. I don't I don't think I don't I think that the caution is you. Sh- like that thinking that your friend had, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, you're Christian. You have, you have to be on this party. Like, yeah. No, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Um, I don't think we should vote any specific way. And, and just for the reasons we've already talked about how um, both sides, you know, Republican and conservative values, I can see um, Christian values on both sides. Mm-hmm. So it becomes mm-hmm. a challenge of um, figuring out, well, which person, um, based on what they're saying, that's a whole nother side. Can you really trust what they're <laughs> yeah. saying? Um, but each person based on what they're saying, which one do I feel aligns best with scripture? Um, do I feel aligns best with, with my personal convictions? Um, but yeah, I think honestly just politics have really hurt the church as a whole, mm-hmm. um, become very divisive. So no, I don't, I don't think, um, Christians should vote a specific way. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of politics. I wanted to talk about some um, kind of basic um, policies in some way um, and kind of see like your guys' stances on like what you think, how our faith should be impacted with this. The first one, where do you think we should stand with, stand on environmental policies? I guess I'll start. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, I, I first, uh, so I, I looked to the Bible and mm-hmm. Genesis one twenty eight says, God blessed them, meaning humans and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and, ab- and subdue it, yeah. rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So based on that, I see that God has put us in a place of being stewards and caretakers mm-hmm. of God's creation. Mm-hmm. And so like environmental policies from a standpoint of, um, taking care of the place we live uh, mm-hmm. is is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's nuance to everything, right? And that's that can be where the challenge gets because um, so 
I would see myself as a conservationist mm. and I also mm. hunt. There yeah. are a lot of people who would say, you can't be both, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can't like, you got to save all the animals. And, no. and I, and I look at like, no, the way God created yeah. this planet is there's a ton of renewable resources, right. mm. trees and all kinds of things that, that mm. he has created for us to utilize animals being part of that. And so I think doing it right is what's important. We've seen lots of doing it wrong. Um, and then we've seen the shift, you know, just talking about animal populations, um, you know, as, <laughs> as America was discovered by the, by the Europeans, I mean, like practically every single major, uh, big game animal was decimated. Mm. I mean, there was, there was just, yeah. it was, um, uh, consumer, uh, hunting, you know, and so they were selling, I mean, the beavers were almost wiped out, the turkeys were almost wiped out, all the deer, the elk, all that kind of stuff. And, and as that shift and changed and we recognized, Hey, don't do that anymore. And we built in laws and took on a model. We've actually recovered a lot of that, which is really cool. Mm. And, and we've developed a system that allows for us to enjoy them, to utilize the resource and allow it to renew on its own. Mm -hmm. I mean, with that, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that, like Native Americans, that was like their middle name, understanding like the importance of nature Mm -hmm. and they were hunters, phenomenal hunters. But even when the Europeans arrived, I mean, they had it down. They were hunting, they were Mm -hmm. using all the resources and the wildlife was thriving. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so obvious when we look at scripture that we are to take care of the earth, to be yeah. good stewards. I was reading out of Genesis two fifteen, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Yeah. And I think sometimes it gets dangerous as Christians when we point to our identity as humans and like the top of the pyramid, if, <laughs> if you say, and we point to our identity as, oh, well, we're supposed to do whatever we want because we're in charge. And I think that it's so important for us to have these conversations and to talk about that specifically, because I think it's important always for us to remember that our identity as the caretaker, as humans, is not power for power's sake, but it's power for the sake of taking care of the powerless. We're in charge so that we can take care of the earth. And I don't think we've done the best job of that, obviously. (laughs) And so I think, I think it's, it feels obvious to me that we should be very involved in pro-environmental policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going to say we two things here. Um, you mentioned it already briefly, but just stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like this is the Lord provided the house. We're the tenants. Yeah. And um, you take care of the place that you live. You take care of it. You're responsible for it. You care for it. Um, the other thing I thought is similar to what you said there, Kaylee, but just this whole idea of um, love for neighbors, right? Christians mm-hmm. are called to love everyone, mm-hmm. especially the vulnerable and marginalized. Mm-hmm. So environmental policies that address issues such as like, you know, air pollution or climate change yeah. and resource depletion can have significant impacts on the health yeah. and well-being of communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as Christians, we should absolutely care about our environment and take care of it because not only is it the environment, but it's also our neighbors. It's also our people. Yes who are experiencing the effects of, you know, whether we take care of it or we trash it. Mm-hmm. I think what becomes difficult, and I've, I've processed this with a couple, uh, a couple times with my kids because they're like, well, we should just stop doing that. And I'm like, well, what about all the people whose jobs those are? There you go. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, because, like, it's not just as simple as like, hey, you know, do X, Y, Z. There's right. a, especially 
because we've been doing it wrong for so long, right? Mm -hmm. Or we take mm -hmm. advantage and, oh, we've got, now we've, we've messed up the air. We have a lot of pollution. Well, we could just say, you know, everybody get rid of your car. Okay. We're all done with cars. No more. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, but that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to agree to that. So then, you know, and that, and that has not just that people won't agree to it, but there's these huge repercussions, right? Mm -hmm. That like, well, there's, there's massive economy that comes out of, out yeah. of that, right? All the way from, you know, the rubber on the tires and mm -hmm. the, the cloth that, you know, is used to make the seats. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's... People can't get to work because it's 30-minute drive. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if it's a 30-minute drive, it's an hour walk, most likely, right? Or if, mm -hmm. if not more, more, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. our cities weren't built to not have cars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And even for cars, they're not built very well. Yeah. So <laughs> true. <laughs> But so I think that's the, cha that's, that's the rub, right? That's mm -hmm. the challenge. Like if we were back in Eden and we were all like, we were the four making the decisions, I think yeah. we'd probably have some pretty good policies going forward, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to live with what we have. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I, I just recognize that that tension is there. Yes. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm willing to hear, you know, maybe the, the opposing argument to that. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important part of our, of our, um, our faith and, and, mm -hmm. and just listening to people, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, just because I see it this way and I can say, well, clearly God has put us, you know, in, in charge and, and stewards of, of the earth and we should take care of this. Um, you know, there's, there's other points of view. There's mm -hmm. people whose livelihoods could be on the line right. because mm -hmm. we stopped doing something because we stopped using coal or because we stopped doing something like that. And I think it's very Christ-like to listen and yeah. empathize and try to find the, re the best solution we can for the mm -hmm. time being. Mm -hmm. I, something that kept coming up as I was preparing for this is theological truths don't always directly translate into practical application, mm -hmm. especially okay. because our systems weren't built off the theological truths. Mm -hmm. And so, although mm -hmm. I think it's the obvious theological truth to take care of the earth, I think the way that we do that and how we, as people who are not in political power, right. um, like us individually, we don't make any decisions. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's more complicated than just well okay vote pro or whatever I don't even really know how it works vote yes on all environmental policies right. I don't think it's that simple right and I think something that um, in college I took a class on environmental things and um, one of the things that our professor really drilled into us was we the people who don't have political power that aren't in positions of governmental power have kind of taken on the weight of the environment on ourselves. And he was like, we can't do that because it's not our fault. Mm. And environmental policies will often kind of put the weight on the people who don't have control over it. And so we feel like when we were all taking that class, we all felt like crap every day because we we're like, <laughs> the earth is dead. And so he was like, we have to understand that like, it's not entirely in our power. So we can't take the weight of that on ourselves but we do what we can mm -hmm. and we advocate for the people who actually can do something about it. Gotcha. So I think it's important to understand that and to not take all that guilt on ourselves yeah. um, and to be able to be passionate enough about it to look into politics instead of just like voting whatever way feels the easiest. Um, yeah. Well, in the whole environmental, it's a global yeah. challenge. I mean, we're not even just talking like, what can the U.S. government do? Yeah. Um, I was in another part of the world. I don't want to say where because I don't want to speak negatively of mm. where I was at. But I was in another part of the world, and their system for getting rid of trash was burning it. 
Um, And while I was there, I mean, you could just see this like smog. You could smell it all the time. It just smelled like burning plastic and Mm. they would do it morning Mm. and night. Um, Air quality was horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in this part of the world, like it's that's damaging the environment. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's what can we what can I do? Nick here sitting in Colorado. I mean, I want to be part of the solution, but it seems like the problem is so big. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we can only do what we can where we're at. Mm-hmm. And I also think too, something that I was thinking about when preparing for this is because the theological truth is that life will always be important, more important than money. Mm-hmm. Cause like the things with the practical application is like, okay, the economy, what do these mm-hmm. things do to the economy and the jobs and the money inflow or whatever. And so obviously the theological truth is that life is more important mm-hmm. always. But I think in the essence of, voting, it's important for me personally to realize and to acknowledge the privilege of being at a place where I can vote based on theological truths and not financial status. Mm -hmm. Like it is a privilege (laughs) to be able to be at a financial place where I can worry about the earth Mm -hmm. and not myself and my finances. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be true in a lot of these other questions that we're going to cover too, is that people living in poverty, like it is a privilege for us to be able to be thinking about taking care of the earth, taking care of the environment, because we're not living every day in survival mode, trying to take care of ourselves. And so I think it's just important for me, especially to notice like how expensive it is to live sustainably. Like it's so expensive and that weight has been put on us, Mm -hmm. the people who don't have any Mm -hmm. power to change it. And I just feel like for people living in poverty or even below the poverty line or even sometimes lower middle class, like taking that step to take care of the environment is too much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we have to say like, it's a privilege and to not put guilt on yourself if you're not in the financial place to start taking care of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Whole foods, man, that place is expensive. It's all expensive. All the stuff that's good and healthy for you Mm -hmm. is expensive. Yeah. Or the environment. Give me the wrong. Yeah. Environmentally safe products. Yeah. Way more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Just give me bleach. That's but, a I mean, yeah, there's, there's a reason we made all the chemicals. It was cheap yeah. to do, and yeah. we can reproduce them really quick, right? Mm-hmm. You know? So, all right. Moving on. Where should we stand on immigration policies? Let's go. Now let's get a little <laughs> more intense. Uh, I found this quote I really liked. Um, so this country does not belong to a select number of Americans. Mm-hmm. Our constitution preamble begins with we the people. We the people are a nation of diversity with the largest immigrant population in the world. Mm. This remains our greatest strength. Mm. Just 2% of our population identifies as Native American or Alaska Native. Let that set in for a second. Mm. Yeah. 2% wow. of our nation really has rights to claim the land. The other 98%, it might be argued, have no greater claim to this land than the immigrants seeking to cross our borders today. Mm. Amen. 2%. Wow. Yeah. We act like it's like 95. It's interesting, right? Yeah. So we come in and I say we, I guess I don't come in and and (laughs) man, I hate that I'm part of that. Um, And we say, this is ours. This Mm -hmm. is our land. We're going to take it and we're going to build walls and Mm -hmm. build borders and, and claim it as our own. Um, Mm -hmm. And tell everyone else that 
you're not welcome here. We're going to create really, really strict policies. It really frustrates me that there's this exam that oh people have to try to pass in order mm-hmm. to become U.S. citizens. And I don't even think I could pass it. I would no, bet you I the majority of Americans yeah. could not pass it. Um, so when it comes to immigration, um, my personal opinion and the opinion I think we should have as, as Christians mm-hmm. is a, just a fair process. Mm-hmm. Um a fair way. I'm not saying say yes to every single person. I think there needs to be some some procedures, policies in place, but it should be it should be fair and it yeah. should be possible. And I think I'll just say this too before I let you guys go, but um anybody who's like super against allowing anybody into the country, they should just go and like visit. <laughs> Just go to the border and just look at the faces of these people. Yeah. Why are they seeking to come here? Many of them are seeking safety. Mm-hmm. They're seeking shelter. They've been pushed out due to violence. Mm-hmm. And put yourself in their shoes. If it's your family, you're mm-hmm. being threatened. People are wanting to murder your children. You're starving. Like, yeah. <laughs> where are you mm-hmm. going to go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people who sit in their, you know, fancy chairs and have their, their opinions about, you know, no one's allowed here. This is America. This is our place. Take a second and just think about if you were in their shoes, um, where you'd feel. So, mm-hmm. I am in total agreement with everything you said. And I think with the process, not only should it be fair, but it should be humanizing. Mm-hmm. I, oh my gosh, the situation, the border, what the borders look like with, especially in Texas, with um, just families living in tents outside mm-hmm. the border waiting to get in and mm-hmm. how horrible of a situation it is and they are image bearers of God Mm. and they're living in such dehumanizing conditions Mm. because of American policies. And I think, I just think it's so such bad theology of us to say, this is our land Mm. and we choose what to do with it. It's not ours. It was never ours. It belongs to God. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we, as a, that we as a government can use that against our neighbors, fellow image bearers of God, that we can use that against them and put them in horrible situations. I just think is horrible. And again, I'm with you. I don't think we should just be fair game and say whatever. I don't, I obviously think there should be a structure in place, but I think to be so aggressive And to have no compassion, no empathy about people seeking refuge or even people seeking better opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so heartbreaking to me that oftentimes when people think of Christians, they think of us as the people who don't want immigrants in the country. Mm. And it's valid that they think that because there are so many Christians Mm -hmm. who are boldly proclaiming that we should build a wall on land. That's not even ours. We stole it from people of color who have lived here for years and years and years before. Mm -hmm. It's just so, it's so absurd and heartbreaking. And obviously I think it's important to look into what the policy should be and how to make it a fair structure. But I just think it needs so much more work and we have to stop being the face of people who don't want immigrants in the country. I'm just going to disagree with you. No, not do it. <laughs> no. 
No, but I think this is one of those places where you, where you'd said, you know, like theologically this makes sense, practically it's very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it really is. Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. I I like to see it for first I'll start with Leviticus 19 because I think this is important. Uh, Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. When a foreigner resides mm-hmm. among you in your land, do not mistreat them. Yeah. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Mm-hmm. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that sums up, you know, I mean, like, like that's what you guys are talking about, and I am all in for that. Um, I think it just, it is complicated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like the reason we have a government is to provide yeah. safety and security against warring nations that yeah. want to, that, that do want to take our stuff and, right. and do want to do things like that. And, and there, there are policies and procedures and I agree. I don't, I don't know them all, right. yeah. um, but they, they do seem very bureaucratic and very convoluted and it's, it's, it, it probably could use some reform, but, yeah. um, but there should be some vetting as well. There's a lot mm-hmm. of criminals that want to come into this country because there's lots of money to be made in criminal activity. Right. I, I don't want that. Yeah. You know, so like, how do you, how do you weigh those things? You the know? problem is then everyone is assumed to be evil. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, maybe that's not fair to say. Um, I think some may have that opinion of they just don't want any immigrants because they yeah. just assume immigrants are, they're just going to bring in drugs. They're just going to bring in crime. They're just going to yeah. bring in all kinds of problems mm-hmm. that we don't want. We have enough problems in this country already. Mm-hmm. Why would we allow more problems? And I think people just put a general blanket statement over that. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of, there is a lot of that, Jeremy, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of crime that could happen. There's a lot of really scary stuff. If we just opened our borders to anybody, um, I think that sounds terrifying in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you can't assume the best in everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't assume everyone has good motives. You can't assume everybody is just seeking shelter. Some people mm-hmm. do want to cause harm mm-hmm. and overthrow and overtake. Mm-hmm. So the government does have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think the problem lies when we just assume that's all immigrants. Mm-hmm. All of them just correct. Just want to take yeah. over and they just want to steal and they just want to bring drugs in and they just want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I don't think that is the right mentality and I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah. Um, but that just does mean you still have to vet people. You still have to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. like, who are you and why do you want to come in and what's your background and all mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, and I think the, the other part of that, um, Kaylee, that you were saying that like, we're forcing people to live like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know if I believe, if I think that's true. Like, mm-hmm. like if they are trying to come in with the process, mm-hmm. I think the problem is the gates just really funnel down. Narrow, yeah. It's really narrow. Mm-hmm. So like, we're not forcing them. They could stay where they're at, submit the forms, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. where they're at is probably not... <laughs> Right. That much better anyways, right? right? You know what I mean? So but it's I, not necessarily like physical force. Right. But they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They are. It's, but they're making that choice, they're, right? They're, they they could stay where they're at and try to make better where they're be at. be killed. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is true. That's a, I mean, I could be killed here. You yeah, know, I mean, like you don't have people actively hunting you right now. No, I don't. You're right. A lot of them right. do. Yeah. And that's what brings them yeah. there. A lot of what's happening across that border, though, is a lot like the, the idea of the wall I mean, is in part to just stop a lot of that crime, right. a lot of drugs, a lot of sex trafficking and human trafficking, yeah. mm-hmm. which is just happening under everybody's radar, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, if you make it more difficult, the, the idea being that you can, you can slow them down. You really mm-hmm. need to work on the heart and remove the desire for it. That's what stops it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, I think there's lots of, how do I say it? I think there are, 
legitimate reasons to hesitate Mm -hmm. and to ponder this. And I think um, that's good. And, you know, one of one of the arguments is this idea that it's possible that immigrants bring more crime. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a I want to say it's a valid concern. And I think I think that it is. It is a valid because for sure. It's Mm -hmm. legitimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's important for us to deconstruct these things too because we do just humans in general not just americans but humans in general have this fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. and so we don't know these people where are they coming from we don't know their culture and that's a legitimate fear Mm -hmm. is the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. but i think it's so important for us to deconstruct these things and wonder why we believe these things Um, because yes it is possible that there are very many situations where immigrants do bring in crime there are violent all of these things mm-hmm. there are situations yeah. um but i think it's interesting because when you look at the research and you take the time to seek out whether that's truthful or not research shows that it's not immigrants often be- because they reside in lower income areas because that's just how it goes there's this idea that they do bring more crime because they're living in these areas and they live in lower income areas with high crime and little opportunity. Mm. But research shows that they still have lower crime rates than native Hmm. people that the native people in that area, not native Americans, but Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. that live in that area. Um, And I, I just think it's interesting because racism is so deeply embedded in us and not to say that anybody who fears these is racist, but it's just so deeply embedded in our history and in everything. And so I think it's just important to stop and to ponder and say, why am I fearful of yeah. this? Yeah. What is going on in my heart and in my spiritual life that I think that people of different cultures are automatically going to bring crime in? Yeah. And that's not to say that everybody who thinks that that's their first thought. Yeah. But I think it's just important for us to address it and kind of begin to deconstruct it because it is legitimate. People have biases. We all have biases, all of us, even when we don't want to, it's Mm -hmm. in us. And so I think we just have to deconstruct that and take a pause before we are so passionate and intense about the way that we vote. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, like, I think tribalism, you know, if you will, is, is deep rooted in and who we are as humans. Yeah. Right. We, we, we create a group, we protect each other. We work. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, and you look throughout all of history, Mm -hmm. right? That's why you have all different kinds of nations and you have all these different things is because it was just, Hey, this is how we, we decide to live together. we agree to these rules and we're going to protect ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. from others, from the outsiders, because they want to bring different cultures. They want to bring different ideas. It's yeah. super natural. It's, it's, it, I mean, not yeah. super. It's very natural, it's very natural. to <laughs> us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and and even in the Bible, um, we just finished reading Exodus as young adults. It talks about there's some laws against that of specifically that they were very, mm-hmm. and God was trying to protect the Israelites from letting those because He's like basically He's like you guys aren't strong enough to withstand these cultures. Right. But if you let them, if you mix with these cultures. You'll take on their their religion. You'll take yeah. on their their immorality. That was, I mean, I mean, there's child sacrifice. There's you know worshiping a bunch of gods, and that wasn't what you know mm-hmm. our God wanted. So there is that fear as well. That is a rightful fear. 
Um, okay, guys. Moving on. Let's get a little harder. Um, where, <laughs> where should we stand, um, or should we support the death penalty? Man, I in my life, and I think I'm still. I go back and forth on this one. I really yeah. do. I mean, you look in the Old Testament, you see there's plenty of laws that have death as as a penalty. Yeah, for. like every law, and like some that feel like, well, like really, like yeah. that's very extreme. You talk back to your parents, right? Isn't that one of them? Yeah, talk yeah. Back to your parents are yeah. dead. Yeah. Boom, <laughs> done. Dead. Kill What'd him. you say to me? <laughs> but um, so like that, you, you see it biblically from that standpoint. Um, the other side of that I I struggle with is, um, uh, you know jumping into, you know, abortion, right? Like I'm against that. So if I'm against that death, right. why would I be okay for other death? Right. You mm-hmm. know, like if I believe that God is the one who gives life and takes life, why should we be the ones doing it? But then I look at really horrible people mm-hmm. who are mass murderers and rapists and pedophiles. And I go, well, they probably, <laughs> <laughs> I could understand yeah. <laughs> wanting to do that. So like, yeah, I just go, I, I, I tend to just fall back and forth. Um, I, I, I think I want to lean on the God gives life and takes life. And so it's not for me to, mm. to take life mm-hmm. and let him deal with it. That's where I tend to want to land. Mm. I'm pretty against the death penalty. Fair enough. Um, um, I, I have a few things. Um, I think that Christians believe in kind of the sanctity of life. Um, life is holy. It belongs to God. Um, as you said, only God has the power to take life. Um, Romans twelve seventeen through 19 um, says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do as, what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, um, says the Lord. Um, and then the other side of this that I think about is um, you just, you never know what's in that person's future. Mm-hmm. And say they say they get instead of, instead of death you know death row or they get killed let's say put them in prison i mean maybe the lord meets with them in prison maybe they mm-hmm. give their life to christ and then what's crazy to think about then is you made a decision for them that impacted where they spent their eternity mm-hmm. because now you know didn't they didn't accept christ before they died they're in hell but what if they would have you know mm-hmm. what if they would have and um, I don't know anything about our prisons. I don't know how full they are. I don't know if we can just, you know, have the capacity for people to stay there for the rest of their lives. I don't know. But um, to me, it's a it's a better alternative. I think that God is a God of justice. I think they will have to answer one day um, to what they did. The Lord will make all things right. Um, they'll receive their punishment. And I don't know if it's ours to right. to give. Yeah. So. I, I, too, am with you, Jeremy, that it's like, well, I don't know. I think those, I would want those people to die. You know what I mean? Like that's the feeling because there yeah. is such evil in mm-hmm. the world. Yep. And I think for me, um, I've had to do a lot of like arguments on this, you know, in school growing up. And I think every time I did the project, I flipped on which one I believed in. Um, and I think back when I didn't have as good of theology as I do now, thank you to education. Um, I It's very easy to point to the verses in the Old Testament because they're so, like, legitimate. They're so yeah. obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, Exodus 21, 12 says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. 
anybody who kills somebody should die. Right. Yeah. That's what it says. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, this is our Bible. So the death penalty. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to do that. But something that I've learned is how dangerous it is to take something in the Bible and directly translate it into an extremely different time period, an extremely different context. Mm -hmm. Because I think that this, this is a people who are just becoming a people. This is a nomadic group of people who are making a government mm -hmm. and a government under the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when you're making a government from scratch and you're trying to be God honoring, I think it feels bad, but I think there is a place for this. Mm -hmm. Like when you're creating a government out of all this chaos and you're trying to follow the Lord <laughs> faithfully, I think, okay, like this is their governmental system, mm -hmm. but that's not us. We have a government and unfortunately we have some horrific things in our government's history. Mm -hmm. Like our nation was created by coming in, stealing land, desecrating native Americans mm -hmm. and bringing slaves. Like mm -hmm. this is our history. And so I think we can't just directly translate that into now. I don't think we should really ever do that very quickly. And so I'm not convinced by those scriptures. I think they're valid and they're good, but I don't think that's how we can use it is directly translating it. Mm -hmm. Even though I used to think that we should, <laughs> and it feels like I want the death penalty. Um, but when I think about our nation's history and when I think about the prison system, and this isn't to say I don't trust our government, but when I think about how the expansion of the prison system offered a loophole to slavery and mm. the continued disparities of black men in prison. Mm. Like, ah, how can I say, yes, that's the government I want to kill people mm. because of how I feel. It's just, it's so, it's so crazy. And I, I, it's not that I can't trust them, but I just don't want to trust people over God. And similar to what Nick said, like, there are so many accounts of people who turn to Christ in prison. Mm -hmm. And I think about it too economically because it's like, there's lots of very valid economic arguments for why we should have the death penalty because it's cheaper. Yep. Like in my research um, from a few years ago, I found, and I'm sure it's way more now, um, but like two to three years ago, it cost $33,000 a year to keep a person in prison to yeah. do all the things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very, a very valid thing for people who are not in political power, for people who have not committed crimes yeah. to say, do I want my tax dollars going to prisons? And I, I think about that and I go, yeah, I think that's valid. But I think about Jesus and I think about how when he was going through his trial, when he was being sent to the cross he gave up his life for Barabbas. The prisoner yeah. was set free because of him. He gave his life for him. And that's where we're called to be. And obviously we're not there and it takes years of spiritual maturity to get there. But when I think that Jesus gave everything, God gave his life for people in prison and we don't want to give our tax dollars <laughs> to people in prison. It's just like, I don't think it's a godly stance to say, well, I don't want to pay for it Yeah. because we think about what Christians want to send their money to. Yeah. I pay for ministry. I pay for people to turn to God. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'll pay my taxes to prisons so that people have 
ample opportunity to seek God and to meet him there. And I fully believe that God, it does work in prisons and that that is such, I don't want to say a beautiful place, but it's such a fruitful place Mm -hmm. for God to move. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, I think it's just not right for us to say, we're going to control this through this government who has had such a horrible history of killing the wrong people. (laughs) Yep. Well said. Sorry. That was kind of intense. I apologize. Don't be. That was great. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. Anyone, anything else to say about that? Your wife slayed it. (laughs) She slayed it. I guess the only other example I would think about is um, just a woman who was caught in adultery and you know, everyone wanted to stone her because that was the law. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, simply says, you, you know, any of you who have not sinned, you throw the first stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they all I think the rocks. That, that helps us understand a good perspective. On, yeah. That's a good one. I haven't mm-hmm. really thought about that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Moving along. Um, this one I brought up um, almost because it feels like an invisible policy that is aligned with Christianity in a lot of ways mm. that I kind of had to be like, Oh, hmm. um, we're going to talk about gun policies and specifically, you know, it falls r- very conservative, um, value and Christians fall conservative and a lot of Christians are pro guns. And it's one of those things in the Bible, you know, obviously guns weren't around, so there's not a lot of, and it was always something that I kind of like realized. I was like, why are we so strong about guns? So I wanted to say, ask, um, as Christians, where should our stance on gun policies lay? You want me to start? Jump on it, Jeremy. Yeah, okay. Ahead. All right. <laughs> I have a 30-page. Uh, uh, no. Uh, no. Here, I will start like this. I, I started like this. I, I like the U.S. Constitution. I like our government here. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I know I'm biased. I know I was raised in America to think that America is the best, um, and of my limited high school education of world civics, uh, <laughs> I tend to agree that I think it is like, yeah. like I love the democracy and the representative government and all that fun stuff, but the constitution is not the Bible. That's why I say I like the U S constitution. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so I believe in the second amendment, the, I think the key part of our constitution, um, those, those first 10 amendments, the bill of rights, the freedom of speech, the freedom of yeah. religion, the freedom of press, um, those are guaranteed by that second amendment. Uh, I laughed. I was <laughs> n- thankfully not audibly, but when you said, I don't, I don't know if I want to trust my government, like that's exactly it. Don't yeah. because governments will turn uh, tyrannical and mm-hmm. will take advantage. Like yeah. that's what history shows us. And so I, I that's where I look at just a, from a logical perspective, not a, necessarily a Christian perspective, but a logical perspective, why I like the second amendment, why I like having the citizens having guns, because it's at least a, uh, it, it makes the those in power in the government think about it for a moment. <laughs> like at some point we could have a huge uprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw an article oh, yeah. this last week that I think it's right around now 60% of all Americans have a firearm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty big Texas. army, you know? <laughs> it exactly. spiked in 2020. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. So, I mean, sure. you just think about it like that. That's a huge army that, yeah. that yeah. the government is going to have to deal with if there's some major... Yeah, thing. So, a literal army. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's... I look at it from that standpoint. Um, now, from a Christian perspective, or where's my faith lie in that? Yeah. Um, you know, it goes back to the the idea of the death penalty or, or killing people, right? Like, that's what firearms are for. They're mm-hmm. for causing destruction, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they can cause death. Um, I'm not someone 
Like I, uh, I was actually just talking with my son about this last week, you know, like from a, a concealed carry perspective, I've decided I don't want to do it because I don't want to kill someone. Mm. I don't want to shoot somebody. Yeah. I don't want to even, I don't even want to wound them. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm not going to do that and be in that position. Now, does that mean I think nobody should? No, I'm not saying that if that's where you want to be and you want to, but like, I'm okay with where I'm at with Jesus <laughs> and I know where I'm going and I know how I've prepared my family and how I've led them in the Lord. And so like, if our lives get lost and someone else's stays because they want to burglar, uh, or yeah, steal from us or whatever, commit some kind of crime, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean, so I guess, I guess that's where I, I look at from a standpoint of, of weapons and that kind of thing is back to our death penalty. And this is where I flip flop, right? Back yes. and forth. But like, yeah, I don't think we should be killing people. Um, so I, I don't like that. I don't like mass shootings and I think there should be proper, proper gun control. You know, the, the diehard conservatives would say there's no such thing as that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there is there's smart gun control. I think, you know, we have limits on who can have them. We do background checks. They're not perfect, but I think they're good. So all that to say, um, I don't necessarily think, like you said, there's no guns in the Bible. Yeah. However, in Luke 22, 35 through 38, Jesus tells the disciples to get swords. Yeah. They're getting ready to go out. He's getting ready to be betrayed. And he Mm -hmm. says, get swords. And I'm like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And they say, we have two. And he's like, that's enough. Let's go. And then Peter slices some dude's ear off. And then he's like, why'd you do that? Kind <laughs> <laughs> of confusing. You told yeah. me to bring the sword. He's like, what do you want to lose the sword for? Yeah. <laughs> so all that to say, like, it's that personal. I think I have a, I think this is a challenge I have for myself. I can compartmentalize mm. or maybe I shouldn't, but I can my, that political view versus my faith view. Mm. Um, and, and I can under, I, I guess I try to like logically look at like, do I want to have guns? I like shooting. I like hunting, those kind of things. Um, but I'm not for violence and I'm not for death. So that's the challenge. Yeah. I probably didn't help anybody. No, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, I think a lot of the cases are, but I think this is just another case of theological truths don't always directly translate to the broken world that we live in because I think it's clear that pacifism is where we should be at. I think that's the state of, I think that's a foundational part of Christianity, but we live in a world where people have guns. And Mm. so if we could go back in time and never create guns, I'd be like, yeah, but guns exist. And Mm -hmm. I think Like we have guns out of fear that somebody else will have a gun. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it is. And so obviously that sucks. And so I think it, it's just the reality of what we live in. So I do think even though I don't own a gun, I probably never will. But I think that in some cases you should because self-defense is real. And I think pacifism doesn't at all call us to allow harm into our lives and into our ways but it's i don't know it sucks that guns exist because they're bad and (laughs) jeremy's crying right now (laughs) (laughs) but they do exist and we use them to hurt other image bearers Mm -hmm. and that sucks so i think obviously there should be control of them but 
I don't know. We were talking about this a little bit before mm-hmm. the podcast. And it's like, yeah, you can put more laws on it, but law-abiding people are going to obey those laws. And people who aren't, aren't. And okay. so it's like, I don't know how to fix the problem. But I think yeah. guns are the worst. And it'd be cool <laughs> if we didn't have them. But we do. So... Do whatever yeah. you want, I guess. Follow right. the law. You're breaking my heart. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I know. Guns yeah, are not, they're fun. Yeah. But I'll, I'll be out there. They were made to be fun. They were made to kill people. That is true. Well, so it's like, ah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, probably, that's actually probably yeah. what they were. Yeah. But I'll yeah. say, like, they have been, you know, growing. <laughs> to kind of also help out. I think I, I always, I had a respect for guns. You know, my, my dad grew up on um, going to ranches and hunting. And I never was taught, honestly, guns where i understood the violence later on at first my first was like their tools their mm-hmm. hunting tools yeah. tools to protect like livestock mm-hmm. like uh ranchers very much needed you know you mm-hmm. gotta get that coyote out protect your animals um and like self-defense was like a secondary position but it wasn't like mm-hmm. the reason you know that was kind of like and you get your rifles um yeah and then you know it's I I grew up in the age where mass shootings really start happening, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that became a real thing. So it was um, a little bit of a shocker, you know. It's <laughs> like, whoa, these guns are a thing. <laughs> but in a, it just in all reality, I was like, it they're also a very useful tool. Very, mm-hmm. it's a, I mean, and they're they are more dangerous than just how much they can, you know. And you use it all that, but like you know, like if you're using a chainsaw, there's a lot of danger in that too. But there were, there's these useful tools, power tools, that have a lot of danger of them. Um, that people who understand them have respect for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the problem with guns today is there are far too many irresponsible gun owners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, but like, and I'm not even sorry. Yeah, um, go off. Keeping your gun in your vehicle is incredibly irresponsible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if your vehicle is locked because glass is not easy to break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not pretty, difficult to break. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to break. <laughs> it's really easy to steal a firearm. And then yeah. because of your negligence and your irresponsibility, that firearm has now fallen into hands of somebody who can cause harm mm-hmm. with yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody who owns, it should be a law. If you mm-hmm. own a gun, you should have to own a safe period. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that safe needs to be locked at all times always mm-hmm. yeah um there are people who own firearms and they keep them like under their pillow <laughs> or yeah. just like you know in the kitchen drawer yeah mm-hmm. um just in case someone breaks in i gotta have one in my drawer mm-hmm. well the problem is like it's this they've become so accessible now um it's it's probably i mean i don't know i've never tried to get a gun illegally mm-hmm. but it's probably not very hard to get a gun illegally these days because there's just far too many irresponsible gun owners. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there should be more strict policies on people getting guns. I think that gun owners, and I don't know if maybe this is too idealistic, Mm. but gun owners need to be responsible. Um, People who are irresponsible with firearms should not be able to own firearms. They should not be allowed. Um, But there's no way to regulate that. There's no way to enforce that. I know I'm just speaking in fairy tale land. I don't think think that's uh, impossible. Um, When you look at some of the... Uh, you look at some of the other countries and some of how they do that. I know over in the UK and I heard this on, on one of the hunting podcasts that I listened to and it was a guy who hunts in Scotland and he was talking about like the things he has to go through just to have, I mean like a a very traditional hunting rifle, not high capacity or anything like that. And he has to take like various tests and he had to be like, so I think you can 
find uh, you know prove that someone's responsible or not yeah you probably think, like even with that you can do a simple thing like you have to prove that you bought a safe before you purchase a gun or something yeah, like that yeah. yeah there you go um but i think uh we just you know it's kind of that the reality of the history of america mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah it like it like that happening here would make those at least a majority of those 60% who own firearms stand up and go, you're not taking my gun and you're not st- telling me I can't be, you're not going to tell me I'm irresponsible. That's the challenge. Yeah. You it's know? because there's this like distrust and anger towards right. authority and government. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get all that and I hear yeah. all that. And, um, you know, when we bought, uh, we bought ours, I have several, um, when we bought ours, we walked out of the store in 10 minutes. We went in. Yeah. We filled out a little, you know, thing online. It took a few minutes and hey. then within 10 minutes, our background check was approved and we left. Um, and then we had one just like that. And I see that as a problem. Mm. Um, I think there should be a, I think there's a lot of cases where there's like a, and maybe there's a new law in place I'm unaware of right mm-hmm. now, but I think this should be a law if it's not already. Um, there should be like a three to five day period mm. between when somebody goes to the store to purchase it and then before they can go home. Because you have a lot of like domestic violence, right? Somebody got in an argument, they go buy a gun and they, they shoot the person they're mad at. Right. Well, if you give them three to five days, um, it's time for their blood to kind of stop boiling and time right. to chill out and really think about what they're doing. Um, there should be more intense background checks, personality exam- like tests. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we should just, we need to be more careful about not allowing guns to fall into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to, <laughs> I don't want to like turn this into a, a, a gun policy debate. So I have a few comments, but I can hold them to myself if you want. I mean, I think we got time. <laughs> Go for it, I, I guess my, my, you know, like I agree. I mean, I, I understand that and I recognize that that is a, a good tool for helping like the cool down period type of thing. But I was, I was actually chatting with Kaylee a day ago about this kind of, what about the, the woman who dates a guy who becomes the creeper and he's stalking her and she needs some protection like now. Now she has to wait three to five days and that guy can do something something crazy to her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to shut down. So there's no perfect... (laughs) That's that's the challenge. It's just just like, it is. It's so so complicated because Mm -hmm. you're like, in that case, I want her to be able to protect herself very easily. Because, you know, while she can call the police and while they can start the idea of doing a... um, Restraining order. Restraining order, which he may or may not observe. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you're going to commit a crime. And, and, the, and, the, and we don't have enough police force to, yeah. you know, dedicate a police officer to her. Right. Like there's just, mm-hmm. a, there's all these things that like we can, yeah. we could hope, but so I, yeah, I, I don't think there's a, there's no silver bullet, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem but, is you brought up one specific example and are we going to make this entire law and belief based on... Mm-hmm. One yeah. potential we, maybe situation <laughs> yeah. that could happen. Yeah, I mean, people, the people, people vast want to. Majority of people who will use them in violence out of anger. The vast majority of people who are buying guns want to well, use them in anger. Is that what, what you I, just said? That's not what I was. Is that what you said, Nick? Is that what you said? No, no. Sorry, I was talking about the specific demographic of people who purchase them for the purpose of. of. No. Committing yeah. a murder. Yeah. yeah committing yeah. a crime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't saying everybody. No, I get you. He wasn't saying everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. There's a there's a question on the background check says, "Do you want to kill someone with this weapon?" Stop. Is there really? If you say yes, they just honest. stop giving you the weapon. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty silly question. Is that really a question? No, that's not a question. <laughs> oh, I was like, but, oh my gosh. but like, I will agree. Like the background check and the whole that whole process is a bit flaky. 
Yeah. I say bit flaky. It's pretty flaky. Is like, it? It's like, oh, I'm going to ask you, do you use recreational drugs? Mm. Well, if I say no. That's the background too? That's it. Then okay, we believe you. Yeah. Did you know <laughs> yeah. that you for know, someone like, to get a concealed <laughs> carry permit, they do not have to prove proficiency with a firearm? Yeah. Oh, wow. You take a class, you pass a test. You're given a card that says you can yeah. privately conceal a gun, yeah. but to get a hunting license, you have to prove you're proficient with a gun. So to kill an animal, yes. you, know, you got to prove, but to carry Killer. a gun with you on your person everywhere you go, you don't yeah. have to prove you know how to use, use that thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, because that. the concealed carry is not a license to, to kill. kill. That's true. <laughs> I understand that. But still, it's the government saying, we think you can carry a gun with you in public. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. So it's pretty wild. Which I is for that. protection that is, um, yeah, yeah, I get it. I think uh, just to, you know, wrap this up, I think <laughs> Nick brought up a good thing about being responsible. And this is a yeah. call for all just like any listeners, if you have a gun, responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Because, Absolutely. Because I'm thinking I feel like um, I understand there's a lot of problems and low incomes and bad neighborhoods. But honestly, it feels like the thing that's really stirring this up and that feels like the most tragedies, the mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's your kids. That's, yeah. it is infecting. It's like a crazy amount of rise of mass shootings. And what's really sad about that is, is like all of those cases, I don't know the stats, but I've, I've done enough research of, of that understanding that like most of all of them brought it illegally, but it wasn't like black markets. Right. It was kids from their parents, yeah. kids from their friends' parents. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's that trend. It's not... So really helping that starts with like responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not even like policies of buying a gun. It's really just like the policies of protecting it, you know, mm-hmm. and keeping it safe. Because that's where, and that's feels like that's where like this thing is really stirring people up and mm-hmm. pulling their mm-hmm. blood at. Yeah. Yeah. I think there should be some, sev- I mean, massively severe consequences uh, for those people who, if you choose to not lock up your firearm and someone takes it and uses it in a crime, yeah. then you're... You're responsible. You're, yeah. you're just as responsible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If not more. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I'm totally game for that. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and it's maybe like even give them the death them. penalty. I don't know. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what's funny though is I am like, okay, so let's say people started using their cars for mass killings and they just started driving down the streets oh, yeah. of malls mm-hmm. and running over people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was happening a lot. Would we start having conversations about who's allowed to drive a car and be responsible with cars? I know I'm bringing a ridiculous example to the forefront, but no. the problem lies is um, guns are amoral, right? They're just, they, yeah. they don't, they don't have any right. To, it's, it's people who kill people. It's a sin mm-hmm. issue. It's a personal issue. Yeah. It's a person problem. So really you take away the guns. Okay. Let's say that were even possible. Yeah. Um, people want to kill people. They're going to find ways to kill people. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a sin issue. It's a people issue. We have, mm-hmm. we got to work on the hearts of people. Amen. I mean, you know the the rub to that is that uh, it, they're they're very efficient killing yeah. devices. Yeah, <laughs> right. you could kill so a lot you, slower you, without them. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, so, yeah, you're you're right. Uh, yeah, you know, I if I have a rock, those. I'm gonna yeah. get maybe one or two people. You know? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, maybe. King I, got, King got yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought about this. I do some weird exercises with myself, but I was like, you know, it's probably like good to have a gun to protect yourself from a gun. But I'm like, honestly, if guns. I'd much rather if guns weren't allowed and I would much rather protect my family with someone who had a knife rather than someone who had a gun. I feel like I'd have a better shot mm-hmm. ever take to my whole family mm-hmm. if I, he had a knife and I had a knife mm-hmm. rather than if he had a gun and I had a gun. That's yeah. just, 
Fair I enough. thought about that. I was like, honestly, I take yeah. give me the knife and I'll have a knife. <laughs> I think, I mean, I can. I, I know I will probably get hurt. I know, like that's, but it feels way more that I, yeah. me and him, or whoever can like I can like conceal that and protect the family rather than a gun, which is like you said, a yeah. efficient killer, yeah. easy to just mass yeah. like yeah. mass spread. Yeah. So, anyways, I just thought about that. All right, last question, Why? guys. Talking about um, all these politics, um, we have a very famous um, policy or you know fundamental idea in the United States is the separation of church and state. And two, I love that we we've been kind of bringing this up, and Jeremy really brought this up because he's like, should I compartmentalize? And that's basically the question mm-hmm. because we've talked about this a lot, and I'm glad this is the last question. Um, Kay said like like very rarely should we take policies from the Bible and bring them in. And like, there's just in reality, we do not live in the world of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Um, we're in a different age. There's stuff like guns and even cars that the Bible, do, like, <laughs> just wasn't around. So should we separate church and state? And is it wrong to make policies based off of our faith due to not everyone sharing that faith? Mm. I like the separation of church and state because at some point, you know, many would say, or historically it's been said that America is a Christian nation, yeah. which I don't know if that's true, but, <laughs> um, but, um, there's the likelihood that some other faith will come into majority power and I don't want to be forced to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I agree with not forcing other people into, into following Jesus. I want them to follow Jesus and I want them to make that choice, but I don't want to force it because it's the government. Mm-hmm. And when you look through history, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the church and the Catholic, or the, the, the state, if you will, <laughs> the government and the Catholic church in Europe mm-hmm. and how all of that began. I mean, like yeah. both became corrupt. Yeah. It was horrible. And they yeah. both took advantage of people. And mm-hmm. that's not the fault of God or Christianity. Um, it's the fault of sinful people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where I'm like, yes, keep them separate. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't, try to enact policy and laws that are based on faith and truth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we should not murder. <laughs> like that's yeah. a good law to have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I, I, I think that's important, but you can't legislate morality. Mm-hmm. You just can't, you got to yeah. work on the heart. And that's what God does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I thought this was a trick question. I was a little nervous. <laughs> you guys were going to be like, no, we should like, I was like, okay, I think we should keep them separate yeah. and started thinking about how freedom of religion is a really it's good thing. Yeah. And, uh, it was a trick question. Everyone scared. get them. <laughs> that's false, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> right, everyone? That's false. That's you're right. wrong. That's not right. <laughs> okay, you're right. We're actually call Pastor Ruben in here. He's going to talk to you. Stop. I, uh, I wrote this down. Um, a government who enforces religion might be the most terrifying form of government mm, I can think mm. of. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Because government is corrupt. It's all about money and power. Mixing this with, with religion is a perfect recipe for control and control is what I fear. Mm. Well, you even, mm-hmm. you think about like Jesus's stance on forcing him is like, like the biggest thing is his free, the free will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like this whole thing. He says, it's a choice. Choose me. Mm-hmm. And we ask, why does he reveal himself? All this stuff. It's, he just wants a choice. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's even funny that we're trying to push that. And mm-hmm. Jesus is like, I, I yeah. don't want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I completely agree. I don't think God has ever called us to make a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in Matthew 28, he doesn't call us to make a nation that's Christian. He calls us to make disciples out of every nationality. Yeah. 
And those are very different things. Mm. And like you said, a Christian nation isn't going to create Christian disciples. Right. It's just, if it were to actually happen, which I doubt it ever would, but if it were to ever happen, then yeah, people might be law abiding citizens, technically being in obedience to God's law. But I don't think God ever desires obedience without relationship. I think those are called Pharisees. Slay. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. That was the thing Jesus was so always upset about the Pharisees was them yeah. trying to have political power. And yeah. it's like, so why are we doing it? Yeah. Because we don't realize that we're the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other thing. But I just don't think, I just think it's bad. And I think a lot of Christians don't love the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so good because God never called us to force people into relationship. Mm-hmm. And especially even in the Old Testament with the Israelites, he never called them to go to the other nations and make them Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He called them to stay as they were and to continue being an image to mm-hmm. the other nations. And so I think God doesn't want it. We don't want it. Yeah. And it would be bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so relieved. I, I don't know why. I was like, is this a trick question? It seems really obvious to me, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe so I'm weird. wrong, but I do think... Well, here it is. <laughs> it is a trick question. I do think uh, things were a bit better when there was prayer in school, though, mm-hmm. and when the Ten Commandments were around, and you know, you had mm-hmm. more of the Christian values in yeah. these places that are part of the state. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is better. Um, I think it would be awesome if we could have uh, a majority uh, of, of Christian values in, in our government. Like, I yeah. think that's a great thing. I, I hope mm-hmm. we have more and more and more of that. Like, yeah. until Jesus comes back, we'll, we'll have some separation. But mm-hmm. um, as much as we can influence our political leaders, um, vote in a way that honors God, mm-hmm. then maybe we can get better. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with what Nick said, that it's the scariest thing I've ever heard of. Especially, yeah. like, <laughs> even if we did have Christian people... Christians in governmental roles, mm. it's like, well, what does Christian mean to them? Right. And yeah. we're depending on their interpretation of the word of God. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about that. And you, say, th- and you say, if we do have Christians in right. political power, oh, like yeah. there are people who, right. who love Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've met they're, some of them in our local right, yes. government, you know, For and, yeah. sure. so like, like they're there. <laughs> right. I forget they're there sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard. It's, it's hard. like, oh wait. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Cause I, I honestly forget about local government. Mm-hmm. They're just as important. But they, whenever I talk about government, I'm like, yeah, I'd say they're government. more important. Yeah. It's, you know, it's what touches you. Directly. Every day. Yeah. 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 I need to be up on my local government, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> oh, well, guys, thank you for, uh, this is a great conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel like we nailed it. I feel like we did a good job. You guys I feel know, good about it? Look at the time efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Look at us Nick, go. do you feel good? You were a little nervous. You feel good? I was a little nervous. I feel good. You All did right. great. Yeah. You killed that. Yeah. I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for not tricking me. No <laughs> <laughs> I shut up. We'll do that one did episode. Did you think we were I'm going to come and say uh, you yeah, have to have like, them together? I mean, I was like, I mean, I think they should be separate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know what they're going to say. I don't know. Yeah, next time we'll make a trick question and we'll all disagree with you at once. That would be so funny. No. That would be horrible. It would be horrible. You'd shut down. (laughs) I would. I disagree with you. (laughs) It is okay. You're right. All right. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us in this episode. 
Um, if you have your own topics or want to discuss, email us at beforebabble at thorncreek.church. Continue to rate us five stars. Uh, join us in person at Thorn Creek Church or online in person Saturday at 6, Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Online Sunday at 9 a.m., 11 a.m. and 7 p.m., 10 a.m. Tuesdays and 8 p.m. Thursdays, all Mountain Standard Time. Um, if you're interested in doing a deeper dive in today's topic, I will post the guest research in the show notes. Um, next episode. So we are closing out season one. Um, it's been a great journey. I've been really excited how this, I could not have been more happier how this podcast turned out. It was exactly how th- the vision of it was. Mm-hmm. Just really great conversations. Yeah. Um, so season two will pick up um, next year, February. That's the target. So we have a break um, for, as the church, we're about to get into a really, really busy season that is um, fall and winter, which includes, you know, Christmas, yeah. there's Thanksgiving, we have a bunch of stuff. So I, th- I was important for me that I wanted to give us a break because um, these these episodes take time, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I think we all enjoy them, but it takes yeah. some time. And I um, I think it's easier to digest during the summer months and even at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. So we're closing this. So I wanted to end on a banger because nice. got to end on a climax. Uh, we're going to ask, where is the woman's place in the church? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm the excited. Question. Uh, this is a topic they that... should be silent, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should, we bring, in, should yeah. we bring in a few more guys to yeah. explain yeah. how... That, that could be helpful. Yeah, that Kay will good. not be on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Her mic will be muted. Stop. <laughs> You're triggering me. <laughs> it's, it's so... It's uh, a really... I think it's a great topic to bring up now. There's mm-hmm. been the whole... Uh, the Baptist church just... Uh, who who they lose uh, Saddleback, right? Yeah, Southern Baptist Convention. Southern, yeah, it yeah. feels like it's coming to a like a, a head yeah. in, in a lot of you know mainline yeah. major denominations, yeah. which is a good thing. And yeah. I'm on sometimes I'm on Christian TikTok, which I hate sometimes because <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. honestly the most negative people I've ever oh, seen. It's rough. And the things they say on there, I'm like, wow, this needs to be talked about a little mm. bit. Um, so I'm excited. I will get an, oh, another woman with us. We'll have a, another guest to end it, and I'm really excited. Um, yeah, and I wanted to keep... I know there are some really even more heated questions, um, and I wanted to keep them for season two. You know, keep the suspense. Let's do it. Nice. So, all right, guys. That sounds good. Thank you, guys. <laughs>